Welcome to the Real Estate Ventures Podcast. In this podcast, we will be speaking with various real estate and business professionals about real estate investing, entrepreneurship, and financial freedom. So, if you're interested in learning about real estate investing, then stay tuned and be sure to take advantage of the free tips and strategies that will be shared by our weekly guests. And now, your host, Penny Lubinsky. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Real Estate Ventures podcast. Today, we have this awesome guest, Kenton Gerard, with us, and he's a really, really awesome real estate investor that I'd really love to dive into his story. He started out in project engineered and developed and managed small strip malls and retail buildings. He has been involved in massive ground-up developments with his corporate jobs. During this time, he got his real estate broker's license and started Kenton Realty Group. In 2003, he made his first purchase, a three-unit, and right now he's got 31 units, eight buildings, and still going strong. Kenton, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Kenton, really glad to have you here. Why don't we start out by going back to the beginning, what you did before you got involved in real estate, and what led you down this path? So I started out in construction. I was a civil engineer doing kind of bigger construction projects. And originally my intent was actually to be kind of a run a construction company. And I kind of got a little disenchanted with the amount of time it was going to take to get to the top in that type of company and started reading a little bit about real estate investing and got a little more interested in, in that thinking I could take my own path and hopefully not have to work for anyone at some point. And so that's kind of where I got interested in it. I started the real estate brokerage company and started helping friends and family buy and sell their condos, you know, houses, et cetera. And I actually used that money to buy my first three flat. And that was kind of before house hacking was house hacking, but I lived in one unit and uh, rented out the other ones. And then uh, it kind of grew from there. I just can continue doing real estate, you know, for friends and family, building up my equity uh, and have been ready so that when the downturn did happen, I started buying. So in 2010, I basically bought a building, my, first, my second building in 2010, and then I bought a building every six months for the next couple of years till I had seven at the end of 2013. And then I bought another one after that in 2019, but I'm kind of just looking for the right deals that make sense. And, but it's been a great ride. And now I definitely make more money from my rental income than I do in my day job, which has been pretty phenomenal. That's pretty awesome. So um, what essentially you're, you're, you were working nice uh, corporate job. What um, in the first place got you uh, motivated to, to look at real estate? Like why real estate? Why not um, the stock market? Why not a different startup company? Like why real estate? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I was in construction, so I definitely liked the construction side of things and I liked physical, tangible, tangible assets. Uh, an interesting thing is that I went to the University of Chicago and got my MBA in finance. So I did, and I still do invest in stocks and the stock market and everything else, but I kind of looked at that as that's one avenue, but I want to have another avenue with the deductions, depreciation, the tax advantages. And I did feel that I had a little bit of a competitive advantage. And after my first building in 2003, I kind of learned how to manage, how to do a lot of the work. So it really wasn't scary because I had the experience. And then in 2010, when the market just completely tanked, I knew there was huge opportunity. 
And so I started buying buildings that were in complete disrepair, which meant the banks wouldn't give me a loan on them. So what I would do is I had to get private money to buy them and fix them up so that I could get a bank loan on it. So what I actually ended up doing was getting a friend of mine who had some money as well as my parents. And so one of, one of them would give me the amount of money to buy the property. They would pay everything to buy the property. And then I would use all of my money in terms of lines of credit to refine, to do all the rehab work. And then six months later, as it was stabilized and it was seasoned, then I could refinance it and pay everyone back. So I did that on pretty much all of them where I was buying them in the range of a hundred to $200,000 buildings, three to four units. And so they would just lend a hundred to 200,000. And then I would spend on average two to 300,000 of my own money, fixing them up and then refinance them, pull the money out and pay everyone back. Right. Beautiful. And it sounds like what you did was the burst strategy. I'm not sure how familiar you are with uh, bigger pockets. Um, they talk about that being, um, I think the steps are buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. And essentially if that's done correctly, um, which you had your experience, you knew what you're doing as far as the rehab and you're able to, you know, pull all that equity back out. Essentially that just means you can just repeat that process over and over again. And it's just, a, it's a beautiful uh, way of business that people use for smaller properties. Um, as well as larger properties, to, just to be able to pull your equity out and just do the same thing, roll that that initial investment into larger and larger uh, properties and more and more of them. So that, it sounds like that's what you did. And that's a phenomenal strategy. They talk about it all the time on Bigger Pockets. Um, I think Brandon Turner actually uh, coined it, the, the name, um, as well as house hacking, which, which you mentioned before. Uh, but yeah, that, that's a really cool strategy. Um, something I'd like to point out is that um, it, it seems a little bit like you had an unfair advantage coming in. It seems like you had your experience from your, your, your nine to five, your corporate job in construction and, and developing and, and that sort of stuff. And for some of the listeners, I just want to point something out. Like a lot of you may be thinking, well, oh, it must be awesome to be Kenton because he has that unfair advantage. Uh, he's, he's got that experience and he, he already knew this stuff. And, you know, that's what led him, you know, to be successful in real estate. Like easy for him, harder for us, right? But the truth is that I personally believe, and I've heard this you know, many times before, that everybody has an unfair advantage somewhere. You may not have it in the same way that Kenton's got it. Um, you may be living rent-free in your parents' house. Um, you may have a, an uncle that's a real estate attorney. You may have a, a brother that has a lot of money that, that you can you know, borrow or potentially partner up with. Um, everybody's got their unfair advantage. And if you don't know what it is yet, then I encourage you to just go out and find it because um, everybody's got one and you can just start utilizing it and, and taking advantage of it. Kenton, I'm, I'm wondering, it sounds like you are self-managing uh, these properties yourself. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, why you chose to self-manage and, and how that's working for you so far? Yeah, so I do self-manage. And so I take care of all of the leasing, uh, renting, et cetera. When, so I currently, my day job allows me to work from home, which gives me a lot more flexibility so I can go do showings. So my wife and I both do showings and you know, then we do the leases and we do all the credit checks, et cetera, online, which makes it easy. But in the past, when I, my day job didn't allow me to do that, where I actually go, went into an office. So when I was doing that, I actually used apartment rental companies to do showings with lockboxes, et cetera. I mean, I would still do some showings on the weekends, uh, but now that I work from home, I'm able to do all of them. So now as far as more maintenance-y type things, um, I do some things as 
well as I have a maintenance guy, uh, him and his wife actually live in the basement of one of my buildings. They did the work to actually make it habitable because it was just an empty basement at one point. So he put in, he basically all the labor to do it. I paid for materials. Now he lives there uh, rent free, but he has to take care of any issues. So he'll take care of lockouts, you know, say a, a water heater breaks, he'll go, you know, he has credit cards in, for the companies and so for each building. So he knows which credit card he'll go to, you know, Home Depot, buy a new uh, hot water heater, go install it. He'll do that, those type of things. But the biggest help is that for turnover. Most of my uh, tenants are younger professionals or students. So most of them only stay a couple of years before their living situation just changes and they move across the country or they want to change roommates or they get married or whatever. Uh, so I do have some that have stayed for, you know, five, 10 years, but a lot of them do change. So the hard part about that is your, your cost of turnovers. But since I have a maintenance person, the labor for the turnovers is basically baked in. It's free for me in a sense. And so all I got to do is pay for say paint and some cleaning supplies and they turn over the unit, him and his wife, his wife does the cleaning, he does all the repairs. So it's been really nice and easy. And that's also why I don't deal with security deposit. I just do move-in fees. And so I take the $500 non-refundable move-in fee at move-in. And if I have say 10 of those a year, I'm getting $5,000 in move-in fees, which is way more than I would have ever kept in security deposits. I don't do any walkthroughs at the end. I don't do you know walkthroughs in the beginning. I don't do any of that. They just come in, the, my, my guys clean it up, get it ready. I leave a lockbox out the back. The new tenant just gets the lockbox when they get there. They move in. If they have a problem, then I send the maintenance guy back to fix whatever the issues are, and we're good to go. Right. Uh, that's pretty cool. So um, essentially, you got uh, you got a person uh, in-house um, taking care of a lot of the parts of property management that you would like to outsource, so to speak, and uh, which really frees you up for the most part on, on the rest of the process which is pretty cool. It sounds like you've been, you know, doing a lot of deals and finding them in, in various different ways. What would you say has worked best for you as far as finding the deals and where you're seeing the most potential? I'm only in Chicago, so I can't really speak to other locations. Uh, and honestly, everything in Chicago has been on the MLS that I needed. And obviously I'm a broker, so I have access to the MLS, but even the auction websites, they'll post their properties on the MLS. So I have bought several at auction and the one I bought in 2019 was actually for FDIC, but those were all posted on the MLS. And so I always see a lot of people kind of talking about how they get their deals out from wholesalers and off the MLS and off market. But I honestly haven't, other than the first property I bought, which was a for sale by owner and I was driving by it and that was right next to Wrigley Field. So that was kind of like a, a unique situation. But other than that, everything I bought was on the MLS. Of course, it's also nice that I get a commission as well. But uh, that's been my experience. Can we can we talk about that for a second? Because uh, networking with with other investors and and just hearing from everyone, it seems like the MLS is almost impossible to, to find a deal. And um, it's just it seems like everyone has access there, and it's, like it's being overbid and everything. But it, it sounds like you're finding opportunities. Um, they were able to rehab and, and, and really uh, turn into nice cash flowing properties. I'm wondering, like, what are you looking for in the MLS that, that's different than what most people are looking for? Or is it just like you got, you feel like you got lucky or like, how is the MLS working so well for you? That's my question. So, so back in 2010 to 2013, obviously there was just a ton of opportunity. 
but even then I was looking for properties that other people might not want. So they were in really bad shape. I mean, for instance, I had one that I bought. It was a four unit building that had uh, water in the basement. So the columns that were in the basement were wood and they were wet and they actually shrunk. So all of the floors above, they were all uh, every the joist and all the floors went down. So the floors were cracked, like all the doors were off. It was just a disaster. But I knew that it was a solid brick building and all the joists were actually in pockets, which meant that the structure was fine. It was m merely the center support. So I got it for next to nothing. It was like 110,000, I think, for this brick building. I just jacked up the, like took everything out uh, all the way down to the joist, just jacked it up in the basement and then redid everything. And it's an incredible building I have now, but a lot of people didn't want to touch it. Uh, the one that I got from the FDIC, you know, they required cash and they wanted an experienced investor that would pay cash and close. So they selected me, which was fine. I did a video on YouTube on it, all the craziness that was with that deal. And I've had a few other ones that were listed pretty high. Like there was one that was, I think it was listed over 200,000 and needed a ton of work. I ended up paying 105,000 for it because I just told the lady, this is all it's worth. And she ended up agreeing to it. So, I mean, I've just found a lot of the off-market ones aren't the best deals. I mean, people have told me that Chicago is different because the wholesaling rules here are different. So that might be also why there's just less wholesalers. Uh, and, and I hear a lot of the talk, but I'm from Chicago. We just, just haven't seen it as much here. Whereas I understand it may be different in other locations. So. Right. Got it. And um, so essentially the, the way I'm understanding it is, and I'd like, I'd like the listeners to, to hear this point is that essentially there are deals out there and the more amateur you are, the less you know what you're looking for and the less uh, qualified buyer you are, um, the less opportunities you're going to see and you're going to find. Um, the more tools you put in your toolbox and the more, the more uh, tools that you, you uh, make yourself um, comfortable with and know and, and different ways of taking down properties, the more opportunity you're going to have to take down these deals that the other um, you know, uh, newbies or people that, that don't have the proper experience won't be able to take down. So essentially the more, and, and, and Kenton, this, your experience you know, has helped you out tremendously with this, is that it's given you the knowledge and the power to take down these deals that other people would be afraid to take down. So you know, that's something that I just wanna encourage, keep on educating yourself, um, everybody out there, because the more you know, the more deals you'll be able to make sense of. And really it's about creativity, it's about finding a way to create um, opportunity and, and, and raise that NOI, that net operating income on, on the, that deal and create cash flow for yourself. But again, if you're not educating yourself, you're just not gonna see that opportunity and you'll just let you know, 100 deals or 1,000 deals pass you by without you know, going and, and taking advantage of them. So you know, that's just the, a point I wanted to bring out. All right, Kenton, one more question before we move into the final four. Um, all these properties, um, have you been taking them down yourself or are you working with a team, with a partner? Uh, how's, that, how's that working for you? Yeah, I do everything myself. I um, haven't dealt with a partner. Probably the biggest reason is kind of the way I work is that I'm very fast and I want things done when I want them done. And I want to make the decisions I want to, when I want to make them. So I just know that I won't work well with a partner. Uh, so that's kind of my issue, I guess, is just personal that, uh, I mean, cause the day I close or the, the day I put something under contract, 
I'm already starting to get everything figured out. I mean, I don't do inspections on these properties. I bring contractors through and get everything ready so that the day we close, they're there demoing like that day. And I know exactly everything's planned out. I have all the finishers. They know exactly what they're going to put in. But when I'm ready to refinance, I'm doing it. Like it's not a discussion. It's not a, it's like, I know exactly what to do, when to do it. And I'm not going to wait around to ask anyone else's approval or anything else. So that's kind of my issue with it, I guess, is that I do know what I'm doing and I can't allow myself to work with someone else who's going to potentially slow me up or, you know, even try to discuss it. Cause I, I mean, I'm not saying I'm always hundred percent right, but I want to know that I'm in complete control. I won't deal with the partners just for that reason. It's just me. Got it. Got it. And essentially the way, what I take it out of that is that you have your, you, you have an actual direction that you want to be headed. Like, you know what you want, you know what your business plan is for the property. And um, you're, you're just that crystal clear that you don't need somebody else to try to confuse you or try to turn you in a different direction. Like you, it's pretty clear. And, and I think that's pretty good. Um, that, that means you have a pretty nice and clear vision as far as like where you want to be um, with your rental property. So kudos to that. Um, all right, Kenton, let's move on to the final four questions of the show. These are more uh, rapid, uh, you know, question answer type. And uh, we'll, we'll move right into that segment. So um, all this going on, you're, it seems like you're, you know, buying a bunch of rental properties, uh, you know, you're property managing you're, you're, you're with the broker, the commercial uh, real estate broker's license, all that stuff. Uh, what's your why? What's, what's the reason for, for all this? So my why is I love to travel. And that's pretty much all I want to do is travel and, uh, and have the freedom to do that. So this number one allows me to do it now, even because my day job is really more work from home. So it does allow me to travel quite extensively and in obviously Corona's for now, but as soon as that's kind of wrapped up, the plan is to get back going again. And I mean, I like to go to, I mean, Asia, I'd like to get there once a year, Europe at least once or twice a year. The Caribbean is all the time. Um, my wife loves to go to Maui every winter to see the whales and we like to go to Colorado for hiking and skiing, but it's like, we just love going places all the time. And that's the why, I mean, it's just do this and, um, and then hopefully not have to work for anyone in the not too distant future. So my kids can get into college and that kind of thing, but otherwise, uh, uh that's the plan. Cool. Really nice. Uh, what's your favorite book? Um, I love the Freakonomics books. Um, I mean, they're usually fairly shorter, but they're really cool. I love the data. Uh, I love that it's not necessarily popular. It's just, here's what the data tells you the story. So I think those are really cool books. Nice. What advice would you give someone just starting out in real estate? Um, so my best advice is really, number one, trust yourself. Um, ask questions to anyone and everyone, because you can learn from people, even if it's what not to do, but you can learn from just about anyone. And think about adding value, because at the end of the day, if you're not adding value to whatever you're doing, that's, I mean, that's how you're gonna make money, is when you add value. Uh, and not just to your real estate, but also to your personal relationships. So in anything you're doing, if you're adding value, that's really how you're gonna make things better for yourself and the people around you and grow and, uh, you know, that's, that's my best advice, I guess. Got it. And I think both of those are, are pretty much connected, like the educating yourself and the adding value. You're not going to be able to add value unless you educate yourself, unless you have some other, you know, built in way of adding value. But for the most part, the more you educate yourself, 
the more you learn, the more you can share, the more you can help others, and then the more value you're adding, which will help you get into that first deal quicker. Um, what's your favorite hobby? Um, so I've been doing YouTube videos. I really love talking real estate, discussing it, learning from other people. Uh, I mean, even though I've been doing this my entire career, I'm still learning things periodically. So, uh, you know, it's good. I like to learn and I love to teach and engage with people uh, other than also traveling. So traveling and YouTube are my two main things right now. Cool. And, you know, I just want to point out to all the listeners, like, this is what we, you know, are constantly talking about when we when we talk about, you know, passive income and cash flow real estate. Uh, Kenton has been able to, you know, increase, you know, his amounts of traveling and vacations and his quality of life with his wife and his family. Um, and it, the reason really is because of real estate. It's not because of his nine to five. It's because of the passive income that he's getting on the side because of the portfolio that he's built up. And essentially, um, I like what you did before, what you mentioned before, you have that, uh, that one in-house uh, maintenance guy that essentially can, you know, take a lot of the burden and the day-to-day -day stuff off of your tasks, uh, which essentially allows you to be more free and allow you to travel more and enjoy life more. And that, that's really what it's all about. We all have, you know, we all, there's a lot more that we want to do in life than just, you know, work our nine to fives. And, you know, for many people, real estate is a really, really nice avenue to be able to go ahead and achieve it. And, and Kenton is, is a perfect example of somebody doing that. So just wanted to, to point that out one more time. Uh, Kenton, where can people reach you uh, if they want to reach out to you, have any questions or any other real estate inquiries? Well, the best way is on all social media and YouTube. I'm under Kenton Knows. So it's K-E-N-T-O-N and then Knows, K-N-O-W-S. And you can reach me on any of those uh, options but I've got a lot of my videos just tell exactly what I do and how I do it. And I just keep trying to uh, let it educate everyone and teach them what I'm doing. Thank you very much. And you're doing a great job at that. I actually uh, watched some of your videos on YouTube and you're very clear. Uh, great for beginners looking to get involved and learning, you know, the ABCs of real estate, just learning uh, the basic processes and procedures. Uh, definitely check out his YouTube channel. Um, a lot of great content on there. So Kenton, thank you very much. This has been amazing. You've shared so much value and I love your story. I hope the listeners can take away, you know, for a lot of the golden nuggets that you've shared here today and I uh, hope to have you back sometime soon. This was great.